haven't done this in a little while. We've been playing the generic surf intro music that we use for Monster Kid Radio, and I got tired of it, darn it. I wanted to play some original music, some new music, and this time around, we have a song called Barracuda from the band Beachcombers. It is sent to us courtesy of their label, High Tide Recordings. It is awesome. I really dig it. It's pretty chill, pretty low-key, pretty relaxing. I love surf music so much, and I am so sorry that I have not played new surf music in so long here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I am excited to have you here. Now, we've got a slight change of plans. I know that last week I told y'all that my fiance Beth, was going to be joining me to give us a debrief, kind of a breakdown of what happened at Transworld, the big haunt and attraction trade show that recently took place in St. Louis. Well, you know, life gets in the way, things happen, she wasn't feeling the greatest, so we did not sit down to do that. However, something that we did do is go to the Joy Cinema over the weekend to catch a screening of Bride of Frankenstein. So I brought my recorder, and that's what you're going to get this week. So, we're going to hear from me at the Joy, kind of explaining what the Joy looks like and what it is. Then I'm going to talk to Beth. Then I'm going to introduce the movie. And then we're going to recap and then kind of talk about the movie afterwards. This was a first-time viewing for Beth. She had never seen Bride of Frankenstein before. Whereas, for me, Bride of Frankenstein is like an old friend. You know, that's something I've seen repeatedly. In fact, I think we've even talked about it here on the show at one point in the past before. So... You know, it's a a nice chance for me to revisit a classic and get somebody who's never seen it get their opinion on the film. It was a lot of fun. I had a really good time. Big thanks to Jeff Punkrock Martin for bringing the movie to the Joy Cinema and for giving me the opportunity to introduce the film. I love introducing movies. I really do. I miss that I don't do it more often. This is one thing. This is something that I bring up. Uh, in this recording, I'm going to touch on it now. One of the things, uh, pretty much the only thing in my life that I regret about moving to Vancouver, Washington from Portland, Oregon, is that while, yeah, it's still like a 20-minute drive and I can get to Portland, no big deal, Vancouver doesn't have the depth of just geeky stuff happening. Stuff for me to really just let my freak frag, frag, freak flag for... I can't get my fanboy on up here in Vancouver as easily as I could back down in Portland. And I miss having access to a movie theater like The Joy or any of the other theaters in Portland where I could just hop in the car, drive a few minutes, get to a theater and enjoy a classic monster movie or not so classic or just anything really. I miss that. So I think that's something that we need to try to figure out a way for me to do in the future, and and we'll talk about that at the end of this episode. But before we get to the end, we've got to get through the middle, and to get to the middle, we got to get through the beginning, and I'd like to kick off the beginning of this episode with a voicemail that we received from a friend of the show and somebody who's going to be on an upcoming episode of the show uh, sometime this year. Hey, Derek, this is Anthony Wendell, author of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack and Manos, and Santa Claus Conquers Manos, the Hands of Fate. I'm uh, a little behind on my Monster Kid episode, Monster Kid radio episode, thanks to my commute changing. But I finally got around to watching 
or I should say, listening to Conga. Uh, I love Conga. It is, it's just so over the top. But a uh, couple things. First, uh, Ultra 7's signature weapon is the Eye Slugger. The Eye Slugger. I was almost, I was basically yelling at my speakers as you were stumbling, trying to figure out what the his signature attack was, but, and two, uh, I'm just a little surprised that you and your guests did not talk about the giant plant that I call Chekhov's plant, in terms of, you know, it was obviously going to eat somebody the whole time it's growing and stuff. You know it's going to eat somebody. But, uh, yeah, you guys had some great points, especially with uh, uh, the doctor and his creepy obsession with uh, the college student. And I look forward to hearing more Monster Kid Radio. And I look forward to hopefully coming back on sooner or later. I believe we've got some Daimajin to finish. All right. I'll talk to you later. Stay frosty out there and safe, Monster Kids. Bye-bye. Anthony, we are going to have you back on later this year. Let me peel back the Monster Curtain or maybe the Kaiju Curtain a little bit. I have reached out to Anthony as well as another very familiar voice to Monster Kid Radio about doing a particular roundtable discussion on an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio during July, or shall we say Kaiju-Lai. Talk a little bit about that at the end of the show as well. But, yeah, we're going to have you back on the show. Kanga! Oh, what a goofy movie, but I really loved it. We talked about that back in episode 559 of Monster Kid Radio. That was February of last year with Robert Kelly from Record All Monsters. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just a fun movie. And any movie with Michael Goff. Oh, come on. Michael Goff is the man. And it's a cool monster. And, yeah, check out plant. That's a really good way to put it. Uh, you'll have to forgive me for the Ultraman thing, uh, or the Ultra 7 thing, or, or whatever. I don't remember how that even came up in the conversation. It was a year ago, dude. I don't remember. <laughs> but, you know, still pretty cool uh, to be able to look back and realize that Mark Maskey's been doing Ultraman coverage on the show for so long. I don't know what I'd do without having him on here to kind of guide us through Ultraman with his Beta Capsule review. Speaking of which... We're going to get to that here in a second after I remind you that if you want to be cool like Anthony, you can call and leave me a voicemail at 360-524-2484. Or you can just email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. In fact, I think I have an email that I did read last week. So if I did read this, please forgive me. But this came in from Steve S. saying, Derek, I'm also a Lugosi fan. Have I reviewed Bela Lugosi Meets a Brooklyn Gorilla? If you haven't, you will appreciate it. But I'm really contacting you about The Black Camel, 1931 Charlie Chan movie starring Bela Lugosi and Dwight Fry. No, it's not a horror film, but a good film still the same. Uh, I've seen Bela Lugosi meets a broken gorilla. I have not talked about it on the show. I haven't really covered it, but I have seen it, and it's fun. You know, it's, it's Lugosi. It's hard to go wrong with Lugosi. Which is why I also will say the Black Camel is also worth watching because, again, it's Lugosi. And, you know, there's just not enough Lugosi in the world. There just isn't. Um, Bela Lugosi, I've always said, never really caught a fair break. You know, he 
did so much at the beginning of his monster career and then petered out pretty darn quick. But the Black Camel, you know, I dig it, man. I dig it. Is Dwight Fry in that movie? I guess he is. I didn't, didn't remember that. Gosh, I haven't seen the Black Camel in forever. No, it's not a monster movie, but, you know, I wouldn't mind talking about it at some point. I've actually thought about doing, like, a themed month, and I know some people kind of cringe when I say themed month. But I thought about doing a themed month, and maybe I'll do this sometime next year when, uh, you know, we don't have a couple of themed months already planned, where we look at non-monster movies starring monster actors. So, Lugosi and Karloff did a handful of movies in which they aren't monster movies at all. They're not genre flicks. Lon Chaney did westerns for crying out loud, and there's a lot of stuff, like film noir-wise, that feature a lot of these folks that we could talk about. Or, you know, we could even dip into some movies that feature people like Cushing or Christopher Lee that don't have the monster connection. So, that might be a fun thing to do at some point next year. I will try to remember to bring Black Campbell to the table when I do that. Thank you for writing in. I, I appreciate it, and again, monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the email address and the voicemail line is 360-524-2484 let's go ahead and get into the rest of the show already said it i'm gonna say it again mark matsky's beta capsule review is coming right up then we've got kenny's look at famous monsters of Filmland, and then beth and i go to the joy cinema for a screening of the bride of frankenstein let's do this Since King Kong has the screen exploded with such mighty fury, defying bullets, bombs, rockets, standing a hundred feet tall, sending an entire civilization into panic, Conga, in color and spectimation. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty ultra heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 2, Takong's Great Counterattack, broadcast April 9th, 1971. As Go Hideki undergoes monster attack team, combat, and marksmanship testing, his abilities prove to be off the charts, the result of his newfound connection to Ultraman. 
Oil monster Takong resurfaces in Tokyo Bay, and two MAT submarines are deployed to confront the creature. Minami and Go locate Takong in their sub, and Go, brimming with confidence, defies orders, launching torpedoes at the monster. Enraged, Takong sends their submarine careening to the ocean floor, the impact rendering Minami unconscious and injured. Go attempts to transform into Ultraman and is stunned when nothing happens. Fortunately for him, Takong loses interest and retreats. A disappointed Captain Kato releases the disobedient Go from his duties at MAT, sending him back to Sakata's garage. But the young man is doubly shocked when Ken Sakata doesn't want him either. Go realizes the harm caused by his lack of humility, and when Takong reappears, Go looks for a way to help others, simply as himself. Takong's great counterattack functions as a direct follow-up to Episode 1, under the direction of the great Ishiro Honda. It's briskly paced and jam-packed with striking special effects, such as the composite shots of Go running into harm's way at the oil refinery itself an incredibly detailed miniature set. But the most compelling part of Episode 2 is the focus on Go, as played by Jiro Don, and the growth he experiences through struggle. It's already been established that he can be brave and selfless, but his union with Ultraman causes him to overestimate his importance and underestimate his team. It's a realistic and very human way of reacting to the sudden acquisition of superpowers, a point of departure from his more stoic predecessors, Shin Hayata and Dan Moroboshi. It's a neat character choice that suggests more innovation to come. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting. of the Gorilla with Barbara Payton, Lon Chaney, Raymond Burr, and Tom Conway. The dramatic story of a strange curse that brought terror to a man and frenzy to a woman in love. Don't go away. You do love me, don't you? That's all I need to know. We are standing in my way, and Dina's. We love each other. What are you going to do about it? Did you see this animal? Yes, I have seen the animal. It walks in his hind legs. Like a man? No, like a beast that walks like a man. Oh, let's go back, Bonnie, please. I'll never go back. Never. Stop. Go on. Why don't you shoot? You can't miss. Once upon a night, two wisps of smoke were out on a lark. A witch and her father. Goodbye, father. Goodbye, Jennifer. Be a bad girl. Her first night was a calamity, but she was rescued by a very handsome man. Come on home. 
cold in this furnace. But I have no clothes. No clothes? Now, this little witch was no ordinary witch. Oh, no. She was beautiful and did the strangest things. But she had a terrible time making the right man fall in love with her. Oh, I'm a pretty good judge of character. I don't think you're really a, a bad girl. I guess this will take longer than I planned. It's getting late. But I want you to know what I am. All right. All right, what are you? I'm a witch. Why do you look at me that way? Oh, my dress. Do you like it? I don't know. Hello there, Monster Kid Radio Hits. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are talking about The Bride of Frankenstein. This bonafide classic was featured on the cover and highlighted in articles throughout FM's original run, most famously in Famous Monsters 21, which we saw a part of not too long ago when we were getting wedding ideas for Derek and Beth. Today, I want to read you a shorter write-up of The Bride of Frankenstein, which was included in an article entitled The Faces That Launched a Thousand Shrieks. It appeared first in FM's sister magazine Monster World 4, also known as FM 73, from June of 1965. It was reprinted in FM 85 from July of 1971. The article was a gallery of movie monsters that induced screams from victims and audiences. Films mentioned included 1953's Killer Ape, Lon Chaney's Phantom of the Opera, The Serial Drums of Fu Manchu, Bird Eye Gordon's The Magic Sword, The European Frankenstein's Experiment, and 1959's Jack the Ripper. And, of course, today's subject. Question. Who is the most famous couple in monsterdom? The Munsters, Lily and Herman? No. The Adams Family, Morticia and Gomez? No. Bewitched, Darren and Samantha? No. Frankenstein's monster and his bride. From The Bride of Frankenstein, 1935 Universal, of course. Once upon a midnight eerie, while Henry Frankenstein, Colin Clive, Pondered weak and weary, and sinister Dr. Pretorius, Ernest Sessager, paced to and fro across the floor. The monster had demanded a mate, and Frankenstein had been forced to submit to his wishes when Pretorius had kidnapped his bride. Now the monster's mate, created by the joint talents of Frankenstein and Pretorius, lay swathed in bandages to wait the suspenseful marriage. She moved. She was alive. Karloff plodded heavily into the room and gazed wistfully at the not-quite-human creature, who was to become Mrs. Monster. Slowly, her creators unwound the bandages from her face as the monster stared on with anticipation. Finally, the bandages lay on the floor and the face of the bride, Elsa Lanchester, was revealed. She turned her head from side to side with jerking, bird-like movements looking all about her through the wide eyes of one who had never lived before. The monster smiled and took her hand. She turned to him, eyebrows flaring up in look of amazement and terror. She shrieked, while to her the face of the monster had been the face that launched the shrieks. To the spellbound audience, both were pretty horrible. 
If screams could be hung in picture frames, we would enshrine the scream of Elsa Lanchester with those of Fay Ray and other super shriekers in our Hall of Pain in Batlantic City, Transylvania. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny. Listen to the beat of your heart, Marianne. You hear the beat of fear within you. Fear that will rise to a shattering crescendo of terror. You have strayed into a world of evil, where frightened people are held in the grip of unearthly horror. Beware of pity for the handsome prisoner in the Castle Meister. Beware of love, for in your heart is only the pulsating throb of terror. Starring Peter Cushing as the doctor locked in mortal combat with overwhelming evil. Also starring Frida Jackson as Greta, who served the vampires with insane loyalty. <laughs> you didn't be afraid, she's dead. Martita Hunt, the Baroness, victim of her own son. Beautiful Yvonne Molore, France's latest sex kitten, as Marianne whose beauty was her passport to the twilight world of the undead. <laughs> David Peel as the Baron, blindingly handsome, yet his kiss transformed the most beautiful girls into monsters. A beautiful, innocent girl on her honeymoon. Her passionate dreams of perfect romance turned into a living nightmare. For this sweetheart she married, the man she had loved, was merely the hollow shell for the invaders from outer space. Bill! Who would believe her? Who could help her through the flesh-crawling terror of this unearthly marriage when anyone she turned to could be one of them? she touched the body of this masquerading alien who wanted to learn the secrets of human love. Your race has no women. It can't have children. It will die out. Eventually we'll have children with you. What kind of children? All kind. Was it true? Could space monsters mate with earth women? See the startling answer in the shocker of them all. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned 
and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky von Helsing. Alright, you know, I haven't done one of these in a while. I am sitting here at the Joy Cinema. Now, I know, I know, long-time listeners of the show know that I come to the Joy Cinema a lot. And, you know, the last time I was here, I think I did record a little something-something, but I'm here nice and early, hanging out in the lobby. Got a chance to talk to Jeff Punkrock Martin, the man of the uh, the hour, I guess, the master of ceremonies, the, the owner of the Joy. And he's just a great guy to hang out with and chat with and give money to because the Joy Cinema... I was just telling him earlier, in fact, that as much as I love living in Vancouver now, the one thing I miss, like the one regret that I have, and I don't have many regrets in my life regarding moving to Vancouver, considering how great things are going for me in Vancouver, the one regret is that I'm not near the Joy Cinema anymore. I can drive to the Hollywood, I can drive down to the Joy like I did today for a special event or something like this, but to actually be able to just hop in the car go down the street pop into the joy and hang out you know i didn't get to do scarathon last year because i was working for scaregrounds pdx which i don't regret at all don't give me you know, again no regrets but i just i miss being able to be here the joy cinema i'm hanging out in the lobby right now and you know i take pictures sometimes but uh, let me try to paint a picture for you with what I'm looking at. So I'm in the lobby right now. You walk in the front doors and immediately to the right is the snack bar where Jeff is working, selling popcorn. He's working with uh, one of his employees, Darby, who's usually here. Darby's awesome as well. She's always a kick. And I do like, uh, you know, talking to her as well. And occasionally she'll even like get in front of the theater and then like tell jokes and all that before the movies start, which is fun. But you walk in, you got the uh, snack bar right there with the popcorn and the nachos and the pizza and the hot dogs, and it just smells right. The candy's not that expensive. $2, $3 for some of the bigger stuff. You know, the prices are pretty good. So come on down and, and get you some popcorn and some concessions at the very least. To the very immediate left of the concession bar is a movie poster for one of Jeff's favorite movies and that's rock and roll high school it's up there it's framed i would be willing to bet it's probably an original now beneath that there's the trash can and you know the napkin dispenser and things like that but some also some original art somebody has given him original art over the years and like right now i can see a picture of somebody's uh, rendition of the bride of frankenstein uh, his big big face in the sky above uh, the moon and the stars and everything else above the Joy Cinema. And it says horror lives at the Joy Cinema and it's pretty darn cool. There's uh, some other artwork of the Joy Cinema and classic monsters. You know, Jeff Punkrock Martin is a monster kid and I know that he would show nothing but monster movies if he could get away with it. But, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do to make a living. Anyway, so you get into the bathroom area and there's obviously men's room, women's room. There's a Portland Exposé movie poster, um, and it's it's not the traditional one sheet. It's a little bit longer than it is taller, and Portland Exposé is a film noir film, which I still haven't seen. I kept meaning to track down to watch. It's set in Portland, which is why it's here, I'm sure. The paint on the walls, it's a deep red. Uh, behind the concession stand, though, it's a deep sky, night blue, purplish with white stars and there is an illustration of a female movie usher back there as well 
You get further into the lobby, uh, past the restrooms. There's some benches along the wall, along the walls here. Uh, I am looking right now at a movie poster for the movie Ega. Again, I'm willing to bet it's an original one sheet. It is framed. Uh, and then we have the entrance into the auditorium. To go into the Joy Cinema, there are two doors on the left and to the right. They both open up into the same auditorium, but that's kind of how it's set up. Between the two doors on the left and right of the lobby is a table set up with more napkins, popcorn salt, and some more original artwork. There is uh, you know, another illustration of the Joy Cinema and a few other things. And above this table are some more movie posters, one for Puss in Boots. And no, not the new one, not the animated feature that's out now, but like an original film in color scope, Puss in Boots, as well as a, a poster for a double feature of The Manster and The Horror Chamber of Dr. Faustus. And again, I'm willing to bet these are all originals as well. Uh, there is a blackboard that is actually on the floor, propped against the table with the uh, napkins and everything, just welcoming people to the Joy Cinema with, you know, gift certificates available and, you know, rent your venue for whatever, that sort of thing. And, you know, pretty darn cool. So... I'm sitting on a bench on the other side opposite the bathroom, and over on my wall, let me stand up and take a look, we have movie posters for APE, A-P-E, or I think how it's listed on the Internet Movie Database, A-star, P-star, E. Not to be confused with King Kong, says the movie poster. Next to that is a poster for Bigfoot, starring John Carradine. And again, I'm betting it's an original one-shot, uh, or, or one-sheet, excuse me. We've got some posters on the wall uh, further down the way as well for Roller Boogie and The Projected Man and Island of Terror is a double feature, as well as some t-shirts from some previous Scarathon events. The Scarathon is something that Joy Cinema does here every Halloween where they just show like five horror movies starting early in the day, going late into the night, the Saturday before Halloween, and it's so much fun. I haven't had a chance to do it lately, but, you know, it's pretty awesome. Seven more posters. Now, these are not framed. Some of these I don't think are originals, but there is a poster for The House on Haunted Hill. I don't know if that's an original or not, but I do think we have an original for Santa Claus Conquest of Martians, uh, Almost Summer, which I've never heard of, uh, In Search of Noah's Ark, uh, Flipper's New Adventure, <laughs> and Five Fingers of Death. How cool is that? Uh, we've got... Some more artwork on the wall, some more reprints of like a Beatles poster and a Godzilla poster. Uh, and then this glass case that I've never really quite understood what it's for. But right now I am looking at a stuffed dinosaur with a handkerchief around his neck hanging out inside it. And then I'm back to the front of the lobby where there is a huge window decal, a Frankenstein's monster, because of course there is. Oh, hey, here's a reprint of a French version of the Horror of Dracula's movie poster as well. Don't know why that's not up higher. Should be. Gotta represent. Uh, I told you about the colors in here, but there's also some animal print, some zebra print, and some spots across the top. Uh, some leopard print as well. Or is that cheetah print? I don't know. Random animal. Giraffe print. Whatever. Anyway, the Joy Cinema, man, it's awesome. You can hear the popcorn going right now. It smells great. I love the Joy Cinema's popcorn. Some of my favorite movie theater popcorn ever. And it's just, I love the Joy Cinema. I miss it. I miss it. So I am here with Beth, and we are going to see The Bride of Frankenstein. She has never seen The Bride of Frankenstein. I have, of course. <laughs> of course I have. But uh, The Bride of Frankenstein should be a good time. 
Uh, I just asked if he wanted me to introduce the film, gone old school, and he's like, heck yeah, so I'll be introducing the movie as well, and I'll bring the recorder with me to the stage. I will probably talk about some things that I've talked about on previous episodes of the podcast, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but, you know, any time to talk about a classic monster movie in front of a receptive audience is always going to be a good time. I'm wearing my Monster Kid Radio Flying Saucer shirt, which... uh, Y'all heard, if you listened to the recent episode where we were at Mothra together, y'all heard somebody pointed out and saw me, and and Jeff did the same thing. You know, this shirt you can get for yourself for $35. I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes. There's actually a link in the show notes for you to get it yourself if you're interested in picking up a Monster Kid Radio Flying Saucer Hawaiian-style shirt. This uh, this shirt that I've been wearing all day, and uh, gosh, it's comfortable. Gosh, I love this shirt. Gosh, I love the joy. Gosh, I love Bride of Frankenstein. And gosh, I love Beth. So we're going to have a good time watching Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, when she's able to join me, I'll maybe get her on the mic to ask her what she thinks of it. and uh, Or the experience so far, anyway. And then, of course, afterwards, I'll turn on the recorder while we're driving home. That is the one nice thing, I suppose, is as we're driving back home to Vancouver, that's some time to uh, talk with Beth about the movie. I'll just turn on the recorder and go from there. She doesn't know that yet, but, you know, that's what I'm planning to do. Okay, so I told you that I would ambush Beth as soon as she was available. She doesn't know I was going to whip this out, but uh, she was, like, totally down for it. So, how you doing? Out in the theater there, huh? I wasn't going to go there. That's horrible. That's not what happens at the Joy. That is not what we do here. No, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Really excited to be here and see Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, so, Bride of Frankenstein, you have not seen... No, I have not. Um, You know, familiar with the visuals, because obviously it's one of the the few classic female monsters, and I'm all about that girl power, power and and women be just as capable of murdering you horribly as, as, you know, men in in old classic movies. But, yeah, no, I'm very, very excited. Um, I will say one one of my favorite kind of parody or spoof movies is Young Frankenstein. That's That's one that we owned growing up and it's it's actually my little sister's favorite movie of all time and so really? yeah i oh. really really love that one and so i'm excited to see you know the what things that took from this because i know that there there are some yeah i would say and like i was telling you earlier that i would say there's probably more uh brighter frankenstein and young frankenstein than people realize mm-hmm. so i'm excited for you to experience that now, I tried to give you, like, the briefest of catch-up, I suppose, the Cliff's Notes. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, hashtag not sponsored. Cliff's Notes version of Frankenstein the movie, because you haven't seen that one either. I haven't. I have read, uh, back in the day, I was really big into gothic novels and everything, so I, I have read Mary Shelley's work, and so I feel like I've, I've got at least the basic story, but it was good to get a little recap of how much of that went into the original Frankenstein movie. Yeah, it's not like it at all. <laughs> funny i would have that in common with most uh, dracula movies as well then the, the, pretty much know, yeah. yeah pretty much um i don't know why that is I, I think for all of its faults mary shelley's frankenstein the kenneth branagh film probably hits on more of the actual frankenstein story from the novel than any other frankenstein i've seen now i haven't seen them all sure. but you know have you seen the kenneth branagh uh, no, haven't seen that one. De Niro as the monster. No, but see, I would love. I I should see it because I I do love De Niro. I'm I got a little annoyed with Kenneth Branagh 
a while back over some stuff he did that was totally unrelated to movies. It has bad, bad personal choices, but but that is no reason that that Bobby De Niro should get uh, denied uh, the, the chance for me to, to see him because he is quite a favorite of mine, and I especially enjoy seeing him in non-traditional roles, not not the things you think of, you know, not the mobster gangster guy. That not the heavy. Not yeah. the heavy that he usually has to play, so... I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I remember thinking this is trying to follow the beats of the original story, but I'm still missing on some spots. I remember being kind of lukewarm to De Niro's performance because, really, Robert De Niro is Frankenstein's monster. But I will say that film score geek alert here, Patrick Doyle's score for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is one of my favorite Patrick Doyle's, favorite of Patrick Doyle's music. Um, I, I adore the score. It's so good. As with all gothic horror, I think the the score and the soundtrack becomes really important because it's it's just the type of movie where you should be getting those sound clues of what's coming up and what's getting next. What's coming next? The anticipation is half the fun. Now, having seen Young Frankenstein, the way the monster is created in the original Frankenstein is very similar. They sew it together, put a brain in it, put it up in the sky, get some lightning, yeah, zap them with electricity, with lightning. That's that's the thing. And I bring that up because in the original novel, they are very vague on purpose. Mary Shelley's very vague on purpose about how exactly the monster was brought to life. And I, I find it interesting every time a movie tries to portray it because they always have to fill in the blanks a little bit. Um, I think with the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the Kenneth Branagh, they were using like electric eels and things like that. Yeah, I believe that one. I've seen little clips from it and they kind of go weird on it. Interesting things from, from Gothic literature at that time, women authors tended to be a lot more vague because it was really unacceptable for women to talk about body parts. Like there was a whole thing in... Jane Austen's era, and people don't know that she actually wrote some short stories as well as um, there's several other authors that are not necessarily known for their gothic horror stories, but they should be because they wrote a lot of things for serials and stuff like that. That um, They talk about when women went to a dinner party, they were only allowed to eat cuts of meat that didn't have a comparable body part on a human. Like you couldn't eat chicken with thighs. You could only eat the wings because people don't have wings. It was unacceptable to eat thighs because, oh, you couldn't say the word thighs. You were, that wasn't a lady thing to do, you know? So, so I, I imagine that talking in detail about desiccating corpses and sewing them back together would probably not have been seen as uh, appropriate behavior for a lady. And of course, if you know, the kind of the lore about that story it came out of their little spooky tales club sitting around the fire on a stormy night and, and telling tales so I, I i could see mary shelley herself and being there with her husband and their friends and everything not not wanting to go into graphic detail over body parts being taken apart and then put back together and doing things to male corpses especially that would be very very taboo and not allowed so it may have played into what she did and didn't put into writing whereas then when you see them portrayed by like Kenneth Branagh or or even Universal those are men telling that story at that point they're usually male directors male writers that sort of thing so even then much more acceptable for a man to say those things than for a woman to say those things 
I, I find that fascinating. It, it's awesome to have that point of view. I also think it's really interesting, and I'm not going to say why, because I don't want to spoil it, because you've not seen the movie, that you referenced the Mary Shelley and her husband and their maybe third, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. Not necessarily you know. employ that, because, you know, that's yeah, all really not entirely know, sure, but, but very, like, very likely could have been. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and that's, all, that's fascinating. That whole story is fascinating with Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley and all that other stuff. Um, and some of the other stories that were generated out of that, like Varney the Vampire came out of that. And Varney, I think, doesn't get enough attention. I think there's some cool stuff to mine there. But anyway, I find it interesting that you bring it up. I'm glad you did. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's kind of such a popular uh, story about them and, and her work and, and their world that even recently you got me into this new series that's a time travel series that extends on the universe, almost a fan fiction, if you will, but it's fully published works about the characters from Pride and Prejudice and them being able to time travel and stuff out of the Jane Austen world. And they literally talk in one of the novels about, oh, yeah, Lizzie and Mr. Darcy, when they were on their honeymoon, they got stuck in this, like, in in during a storm and Mary Shelley and her husband were there and they were asked to all write a story, but, you know, they declined because these were professionals, so... <laughs> and so it's like it got brought up even in that, that it's such a well-known trope or, or well-known event. So it'll, it'll be interesting now to see that you've inferred that that somehow plays in. I'll be watching for it during the movie. Well, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to set up the movie with any expectation. Like, I don't want to oversell the movie for you. As long as there's big hair, I'll be happy. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a little <laughs> bit of that, I suppose. I'm, I'm really excited. There's a particular character in this. I told you on the right, right over here that is one of my favorite characters from all of Mon Universal Monsterdom that you only see the one time. And I, I am looking forward to uh, your response to him. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of other things that I'm looking forward to discussing with you. Probably on the ride home, I'll just pull out the recorder mm -hmm. while we're you know, driving home and chatting a little bit. Uh, but I'm excited for this. I'm, I'm really excited. I love sharing these movies with somebody who's interested in them mm -hmm. and somebody whose opinion I find super fascinating anyway. And... I get to hang out with my hot fiance for like an hour and 10 minutes in a dark movie theater. How cool is that? It is pretty cool. And I think whether it's you sharing movies with me or me sharing movies with you, there is something special about sharing something you love with someone you love, especially when they're coming to it with the in intention of, of potentially loving it as much as you do. There we go. There's a nice Valentine's Day spin to put on this. I know that he's doing this for Valentine's Day, and while you and I aren't really doing the Valentine's Day thing for many different reasons, it's a nice little Valentine's bow to put on it. I'm going to go ahead and turn off the recorder. I think the next time you all hear anything will be when I'm introducing the film. So, here we go. It's Oh, it's on. It works. Yes. It works. Okay. You, are you guys trying to see Bride of Frankenstein tonight? Yes, oh, there was a rousing round of applause. We're gonna show, actually going to show you Super Bowl the movie instead. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm caught up in Super Bowl mania. Anyway, we're going to show Brad and Frankenstein in just a minute, but you get an extra treat because, yes, let's hear it. Let's hear it for the extra treat. Just the concept of the extra treat is already great. Anyway, here is the extra treat. A young man who is the boss and the host and the star of the really, really, really great podcast, Monster Kid Radio. He's in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. Let's hear it for that. Come on, come on. And he, he just, he knows monster movies and loves them. 
more than anyone. He's one of the greatest guys ever. And I affectionately refer to him as Geek Brother Number One. So let's give it up for Mr. Derek Cook to introduce me. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, so first of all, shout out for Jeff. Come on. He's the man. He's the one that makes this happen. Also, I thought I'd take this opportunity to announce that I'm going to be retiring Monsecure Radio to do a Super Bowl podcast every week. But I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 no. Uh, I love monster movies. I love classic monster movies, not so classic monster movies. This one is a classic, a bonafide classic. And this is the kind of stuff that I talk about every week in my podcast. I've been doing Monster Kid Radio every week for, I, I keep losing track, but I just released episode 607. So I've been doing it for a while, uh, and I just never get tired of talking about them with people that love these movies or sharing my love for these movies with people who may not have seen them before. Speaking of which, who has not seen this movie yet? We have some new time. Oh, this is good. I'm so excited. Have, those of you who have not seen this movie, have you seen the original Frankenstein? Yes. yes? Okay. Yeah, this one is a direct sequel, but there's a little bit of a recap at the beginning to kind of catch up to speed. There's some cool stuff that happens in this movie that, I mean, I, I think it's kind of mind-blowing and groundbreaking for the time. Uh, James Whale is the director of this movie. He also directed the first Frankenstein film. And I always liken Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And, and James Whale's career at that moment to Tim Burton. Uh, Tim Burton, I mean, we know what Tim Burton is in the kind of movies that he makes now, the kind of weird, wacky stuff, right? Probably not the guy that you would have pegged in 1989 to make Batman. But he made Batman. He made a studio film. And it feels very much like, you know, Tim Burton's got some touches in there, but it's a studio film. You know, it's a big-budget studio film. Warner Brothers is kind of telling him what, you know, letting him do his thing, but with a leash. And then he makes Batman Returns and the training wheels are off. And it's all kind of wacky and wonky and really Burton-esque. What we've come to associate with Tim Burton you see in Batman Returns, not so much in Batman. That's kind of how I like in these movies. James Whale's Frankenstein, it's got a lot of awesome James Whale's moments, but it's a universal picture. You know, they're just getting started with the monster movie thing, right? Frankenstein is the second big budget movie that they've made of the universal monster cycle, Dracula having been the first one of that, that big push. But then Universal wants a sequel, and they start courting James Whale. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it unless you let me do these certain things and let me make my kind of movie. And then we get the Batman Returns of the Universal Monster movies, where you get a lot of James Whale's, uh, let's call them flourishes, uh, a lot less control, a lot less studio oversight. They trusted him, and if they didn't trust him, he just wasn't going to make the movie anyway. So this movie, I feel like, really touches on what James Whale was about as a filmmaker, more so than Frankenstein, more so than uh, The Invisible Man or some of the other movies that he made for Universal. He's a great filmmaker. If you haven't explored James Whale's filmography, you're missing out. There's some really cool stuff in there. I really want to talk about the opening scene of Bride of Frankenstein, but I don't want to spoil the movie, so I'm not going to, um, partly because my fiance Beth, who I love dearly, hello Beth, I love you, uh, has not seen this movie either, and I don't want to spoil it for her either. Uh, but there's some really cool stuff that happens in the beginning of this movie that really sets the tone for what you're about to see. What's really interesting for me about this movie, the Tim Burton stuff aside, and the other thing I didn't want to talk about, is that this is only the second time Boris Karloff has played Frankenstein for Universal. He, obviously, he played him the, the monster in the first film. Uh, he would play Frankenstein's monster one more time in the follow-up to this one, Son of Frankenstein. And after that, he was done. Kind of. Uh, he did come back for House of Frankenstein, 
but he didn't play Frankenstein's monster, nor did he play Dr. Frankenstein. He plays a character completely unrelated to the Frankenstein stuff in House of Frankenstein. And then later on, for a studio other than Universal, he would appear in another Frankenstein movie as a Dr. Frankenstein, but not the monster in that movie being Frankenstein 1970, which talks about like atomic power and all this other weird stuff that was going on in the world at the time. I could sit here and talk forever about Bride of Frankenstein. I'm not going to because y'all are not here for me. Y'all are here for the movie. But if you do want to hear more from me, please check me out on my podcast at Monster Kid Radio, which you can find at monsterkidradio.net. I'm on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, Patreon, Discord, Reddit. Certain smoke signals, you might be able to find me that way. In Tarasitor, maybe tune into what I'm doing. Uh, but uh, I'm all over the internet. Just look at Monster Kid Radio. And uh, if you're going to be at Fan Expo Portland next weekend, I'm going to be there as well. Uh, on Saturday, I'm doing a live recording of a Monster Kid Radio podcast. I believe it's happening at 5. Check the Fan Expo uh, website for that. I'm also introducing or, or launching a new book. I've got a supernatural superhero series that I'm launching, uh, a series of novels that I'm launching there as well, in Author Alley called On the Back Burner, book one in the Solemn Judgment superhero novel series. So that'll be coming up as well for me. But I mean, again, y'all aren't gonna hear from me. I wasn't even on the billboard. I'm not, I'm not part of the show. Brian Frankenstein's part of the show. Jeff, what do you say? Let's get the show started. Come on, guys. Come on. Let him know we're right. And away we go. Literally, the light just turned green. <laughs> we we are on our way home from the Joy Cinema. Beth, what did you think of Bride of Frankenstein? Oh, that was amazing. I mean, wow. Um, I can definitely see what you're talking about, where the, the, the director got to make the decisions and call the shots here. And I think maybe not only him, but Karloff in a lot of ways, too. That, that may be the most humanized Frankenstein that I've ever seen. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he does. You know, with Son of Frankenstein, he does kind of regress a little bit. Um, which is the next one in the series. Plays a little more to the trope. Yeah, a little bit more to the trope. Um, Son of Frankenstein's fantastic. You know, it's it's oh so good. Um, it brings Bela Lugosi into it with playing Igor. Okay. Who's fantastic. Uh, there's a reason why when you think about Frankenstein's assistant, you immediately think Igor, pop culture-wise, even though in the film, the assistant in the first film was actually named Fritz. Yeah. <laughs> totally different character. But we think Igor because I think Lugosi. But that that's the next one, which I'm happy to share with you at some point because oh, it's definitely. really good. But, yeah, um, there are some things that happen in this that the studio, I think, in retrospect was like, um, do we need that many crucifixes? <laughs> um, do we really need to show these two men being such good friends, you know? I maybe I don't even know if it was just that these two men are such good friends that 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 was very close to being a straight up thruple there <laughs> you know there's stuff happening in the movie now I know there are some people and that don't like to uh, like uh, ascribe certain meanings to a film without actually knowing for sure sure but knowing James Whale's situation Mm-hmm. Uh, he was gay. Yeah. Okay, let's just say it his flat out. He was gay. Knowing that, uh, knowing Ernest Thesiger was gay, 
uh, the rumors about Colin Clive, which I don't think were ever really confirmed, so I don't really want to put a lot of things out there about that. But it's really easy to look at Bride of Frankenstein and see a lot of stuff happening <laughs> uh, in the movie that the studios either turned a blind eye to or just were completely, hopefully ignorant about. Um, I mean, the movie at its core is about two men who had a forbidden relationship of some sort in college, so much so that Thesiger is talking about, or Pretorius is talking about, how they would have been burned at the stake at one point. As wizards, yeah, sure, that's what she meant. Um, well, and Pretorius is clearly the older, yeah. fully corrupted, experienced man leading the... Not innocent, but the the sort of dabbling younger man yeah. astray. And it's these two men, without the assistance of a woman, a uterus, <laughs> trying to create life, doing doing the thing that a couple of opposite sexes need to do. And re, you know, in reality, they they're trying to do it without that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening there. Um, well, and even straight up. You know, using a form of what has been as ascribed as evil to separate him from his wife. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's a lot of... There's not a shot in the movie where the wife and Pesorius are in there together where he's not glaring at her. Absolutely. I mean, well, he glares at a lot of people, but... Um, but whether you bind any of that or not, I think the movie's still enjoyable. Uh, just as a flat-out... just. You know, story, but it's a Frankenstein movie. It's it's awesome. It's got a lot of really cool uh, stuff in it. I love the sets. I love the sets so much. You were talking about the dress. Oh yeah, I mean the multiple times the costumes are just amazing right off the bat in the sort of introduction scene mm -hmm. with Mary Shelley and and the boys. <laughs> you know, her dress is just. Phenomenal. I mean, clearly, we, we like let the costumer go into the universal wardrobe room and go, What would you like to pick? You know, pick whatever you like. And then somehow strapped that actress into it <laughs> because, boy, that was clearly tight. I'm impressed that, I mean, she's practically fainting and it may be the dress, <laughs> if I'm honest. Well, they had I mean, to make up for the fact that they were going to put her in just, like, sailcloth at the end of the movie. Yes, 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 yeah, that's so, fair. And you're going to get a nice, fancy, form-fitting gown, because later, you're going to be wearing a pillowcase. But you might have pockets. So, you know, like, <laughs> straight off. Definitely no pockets in the first dress. And, and you did catch it was the same actress, right? Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. No, I, I, I caught that one on, on the unwrapping, as it were. Yeah. She, um, the bride has like less than 10 minutes and maybe even less than five minutes of screen time but it's such an iconic half character it is screen time as it were. yeah yeah such an iconic figure oh and so well known the whole look of her so well known in fact i felt myself uh, touching my own temples when when she was first revealed all dressed up as it were you know i i found it very interesting that was something uh, Jeff from the Joy pointed out that, like, the first thing they do as soon as she's unwrapped, oh, well, let's dress her up like a Barbie doll, <laughs> you know? Right. And I, I felt myself touching my own temples because I, too, have uh, those white streaks coming in right there <laughs> as I progress in <laughs> into my final monster state. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> 
So I, I think I've talked about this. I know I've talked about it when I've introduced the movie before. Um, and I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast. But I believe that that movie is the start, the official beginning of the Universal Monsters multiverse. I know the MCU is a big deal, and, you know, what DC Comics is doing, and whatever, and, you know, Godzilla and them have, like, a whole franchise, but the Universal Monsters, I, I'm going to say it was the first multiverse. Hey, this is Derek from, well, a couple days removed from that recording. I wanted to interject here because I'm noticing that I use the word multiverse repeatedly. That's not correct. What I should be saying is cinematic universe. Now, I've already said multiverse a couple of times. I'm not going to go back in and re-edit all that out. And I may say it a couple of more times moving forward in the rest of the recording. What I mean is cinematic universe, not multiverse. Okay, back to it. The first franchise with Frankenstein meeting the Wolfman and House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein and all this other stuff going on. And Abba and Costello bringing them all together. Well, and this thing had more Easter eggs than a Pixar film. I mean, <laughs> like the little bat when they go into the cave-like area at one point, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's the Dracula bat. Clearly someone went, this is too good of a special effect not to use again. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm going to say is, I'm, I'm going to go as far as saying that, obviously in reality, that's not this is not the case. But in the world of the Universal Monsters... Mary Shelley is the mother of the monster multiverse because we find out in this film that the story of Frankenstein is being told to us by Mary Shelley. Mm -hmm. The story of Bride of Frankenstein is being told to us as Mary, by Mary Shelley. Mm -hmm. Well, later on, that Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and then they all meet up with Dracula later. So I put forth that Mary Shelley is the architect of the stories that we know as the Universal Monsters. Now, that's not the real Mary Shelley, obviously, I'm talking about the, the meta layer of everything here. Absolutely, absolutely. But, but that's my theory, that's my my supposition. Uh, if I was in graduate school, I'd write a thesis on it. <laughs> um, I am still desperately trying to find a way to link the mummy and creature from the Black Lagoon into that franchise mix uh, since they never officially met on screen. Uh, I think this time while I was watching Bride of Frankenstein, I'm going to examine the graveyard scene a little bit more because there's some pretty iconic statues in the graveyard. I'm going to see if I can spot them in Dracula or whatever and be like, ah, there it is, or more the mummy or something. Try to put it all together and make it connected that way. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there were a couple familiar staircases in there too. <laughs> True. You know, and that you know that era of movie making. It is the the thirties, and you did have to reuse what you could and use what you could. Like I noticed, there was a real effort in the costuming when we'd see uh, the peasantry. Uh, yeah. The women were in what you would think of as as peasant clothes of the era. But clearly someone made the decision, y you know what, these poor dudes just looking to make a couple bucks for the day as extras, they can just wear whatever suit they came in and it'll be fine, nobody will notice. <laughs> you know, maybe we'll change their hat with a little different band around it, but we're not even giving them a new hat. It, 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 we have enough women in there in the peasant skirts and the kerchiefs that it, it'll pass, it'll be fine, you know. Uh, so, yeah, you could definitely see that in places that they were using and reusing things and, and making do and, and 
the truth was it, it really was that era where even the big movie houses couldn't afford to be wasting money and wasting uh, props or clothes or, or anything. Well, back then, it's not like they could CGI, you know, a, a set or whatever. So they spent tons of money on this stuff. They're going to reuse it as much as they possibly can. <laughs> so sets are gorgeous. God, that Frankenstein lab. Oh, oh, that was brilliant. You know, and you really get to see all the equipment. Um, I, I want to talk about that, but you said something about the women. I, I, I want to get away. I don't want to get away from it too far because... Una O'Connor is the actress who played Minnie. The, oh, he's dead. It's the monster, all right? You know, the, the really... I, I love Una. Oh, she's okay. a personal favorite of mine. And, you know, as a comedic actress in a way, I thought that was really funny to stick her in there, especially at the beginning, and just kind of let her act up in a way and be who she was. Maybe to bring in friends of hers, but but also to lighten the mood so that you didn't feel like it was going to be so dark and evil right from the beginning. She's a polarizing figure. Uh, a lot of people don't like her. Don't like that over-the-top uh, approach. She also appears in a, in a similar role in The Invisible Man, which is also directed by James Whale. James loved her, apparently, and, you know, used her a lot. I, I don't... I, I go back and forth. Sometimes I think she's great, and sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, that's enough. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> but she also appears at the very beginning of the movie. I don't know if you remember this, but when the movie first opens, with Mary Shelley and them hanging out, you see, like, a housemaid walking some dogs out of the room? Yes. That's her. Yeah, I love double casting and yeah. things like that, and, and doubling, and you know, coming from a theater background, I, I revel in being able to use the same person and, and make yeah. the audience do a double take on something like that. So I, I, I did catch that because I saw it first and I thought, well, wait, that's what she's playing? That's You, you brought, brought in Una to walk some dogs? That kind of feels like a waste of <laughs> actress. And I can definitely see what you're saying, that some people might find her her style almost overacting in a way or, or too cheesy. But considering her age and the time period and realizing that she likely honed her craft on vaudeville type stages and even yeah. pre-vaudeville type stages, you know, traveling around likely by train, theater to theater, performing for people where you had to perform big because it was still a lot gaslight. And if you're acting in Gaslight, I've only gotten to do it um, a handful of times, but I have gotten to perform on an outdoor stage where everything was gaslit rather than electric light. Oh, okay, I see. There's, there's an element of having to overact and overemphasize your face and your body movements and even your voice to get the point across because it's just too damn dark. Yeah, okay. Uh, the electrical equipment in the sets... I love that stuff, and you've seen that before, Beth, because a lot of it was used in Young Frankenstein. Oh, okay. It they, did look very familiar, yeah. and I thought, gee, this looks very much like it. Uh, wow, they must have done a great job of copying it, but no, it's just the same pieces. In yeah. Um, that, that makes sense. Forgive me if I'm wrong, listeners. Strickfatten, I believe is his last name, the guy who created all that stuff. And he made it for Universal, and it ended up in his garage, basically. <laughs> so he would wheel it out for stuff. It would get reused in other movies. It even turned in 
or turned up in a movie that I really like for all, I probably shouldn't, Blackenstein. <laughs> it turns up in Nine of all things. Or I think it even turns up in Dracula vs. Frankenstein as well, now that I think about it. But, yeah, I, I love that stuff. And, you know, electricity being a kind of magical and mystical and all that at the time anyway. It, it, it was, yeah, yeah. You know, you think about even into the 30s, a lot of people still did not have electricity in their houses. A lot of people, the only time they saw electricity was when they came into town, maybe even to the movie house, you know. Yeah. And, and it's not a time where, reading the Depression, you're going to be adding a lot of improvements to your home like that. In fact, the only people who probably had the money to do improvements probably already had electricity at that point. So for audiences, it, it was a neat thing. If you were growing up in a shack somewhere with an outhouse, yeah, all of that electricity and the excess of it, the glamour of excess mirror is, is very true to the era. Yeah. That idea that, oh, rich people can just waste things and it's not a problem at all. Um, shifting in that same idea of when the era was, I found some of the mob scenes at the beginning very telling and the Mary Shelley character comes right out at the beginning and says uh, the guys are saying well gee we just can't we can't believe that you told such a gruesome tale and you wouldn't want it published then people would know that your brain contained all, all of these wild ideas and gruesome things and, and who would publish that people would be appalled and she just straight up says they missed the point this is a moral tale and I think there's a neat doubling in there that maybe a lot of people would miss that she's saying, hey, I want you to, as you're watching this, and that really is going to come from the writer and from the director that they're having her say this, watch what goes on here because this is a moral tale and you need to pay attention. And the mob scenes, as someone who has studied a lot of the history from that time and particularly in Europe, which is where they've set the whole thing, it was a time of mobs kind of fighting against things and people seen as monsters and just taking the law into their own hands and, and you have the Burgermeister trying to stop them and going, nobody will listen to me, nobody will do what I say, I have no control over the mob. And you know, that is the rise of fascism in, in the 30s in Europe and not just in Germany, but in Hungary and Romania and in a lot of places. Yeah. You had fascism rising and you had mobs just taking the law into their own hands and dealing with what they saw as the problem, many times the intellectuals. Now, I'm not saying that Victorious isn't a bad dude, obviously, and he's, <laughs> he's gone off the deep end here, but I, I think part of the lesson that we're supposed to look at is not just the lesson about the monster and and trying to play God, but also the lesson about, hey, don't get swept up in a mob and in the danger that can happen when people get overexcited. Whereas when we see the creature find a friend, he's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with, like, he's able to help. He's there clearly doing better as time goes on. Um, I mean, he turns him into, like, a teenage boy. Smoke, drink, good! You know? <laughs> But you can see like subtle differences yeah. when they switch scenes that the, 
the, the, the cabin is more cleaned up, so clearly the monster's been helping. True. And there's like a bigger wood stack over to the side. I don't know if you caught that. And I, yeah. I gotta think that the blind man isn't chopping kindling. Like, that's probably something that the monster is doing. Um, and so it's like, yes, a little bit of kindness goes such a long way. And that's, that's a lesson instead of the mob, which literally drives him to be this crazy maniac. He just did an attempt to both survive, but also to do more than survive to live. You know, he wants the simple things that we all want to be able to have someone to love and to care about and to care for. And and to show our love too that's that's a very simple basic human idea and whether it's a friend or a mate or or whatever it, the drive of the monster isn't just i want someone to mate with which i think in a lot of modern takes on frankenstein they they do it like i want someone to mate with and certainly pretorius is like yes i want them to have little frankenstein's monster babies and <laughs> then i can put them under giant glass jars or something i don't know that guy's super messed up but he has that idea, but I don't think that's the monster's idea because when he does get a hold of her, he pats her hand. It's the sweetest thing. He just wants to care for her. I mean, that's kind of all busted up in about a moment later, but yeah. But he really just wants someone to take care of and to care for. And a little bit of kindness would give him that, but instead we have mob rule and, and crazy rich people running their own agenda in a way yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know and, and that even people like dr frankenstein can be driven to do and or accept and or turn a blind eye to some pretty horrible things the minute that it suits their interest to do so the yeah. that a real sacrifice might be required of them he, he goes into yeah fine okay i guess i'll do it and i'll pay for everything and and I'm basically paying a dude to go murder some poor young woman. And yeah, where just... did, yeah I, I, I never... Like, I watched that performance. I watched that very carefully this time. Mm-hmm. The way he kind of shakes his head. You know, the first time... I always just assumed he was, like, trying to clear his head. He's tired or whatever. Yeah. But in this case, it really read more of a... I'm shaking my head because I don't want to think about... I mean, I understand the heart came from this dead 19-year-old. That and he's clearly a very smart... Yeah. You know, he, he knows created that, yeah. the monster. He's not an idiot. He knows what went on, and he realizes what his thousand coins... I forget what, what denomination they use. Crowns. Crowns, thank you. Yeah. What his thousand crowns bought in that moment, and he just decides, you know what, I'm not going to think about it. Yeah. Because what I want is more important. So, uh, there's, there's one thing at the end of the movie that... I didn't catch the first time I saw this, and I, and I always watch for it now because I always get a kick out of it. When Frankenstein's monster pulls the lever and destroys the lab. Yes. It's a long shot of the entire lab. Yes. You know who's in that lab when that happens? Frankenstein's in there. Victor Frankenstein, or excuse me, Henry Frankenstein is in the lab. I don't know why. I don't know if they just changed the ending at the last minute and decided to let him get away. But Frankenstein's in the room when he pulls the lever. Yeah, there's a couple places in it where it cuts some little inconsistencies early on when the monster meets the girl by the pool. Yeah. We cut back and forth between shots of him clearly holding her down by covering her mouth and her, and then it cuts to her screaming. And then he's holding the mouth of screaming. And we hear the screaming even though he's holding the mouth. You know, there's some visual inconsistency there but I, I think for the time it's 
yeah, pretty I, phenomenal. Oh, I yeah. mean, I was not expecting the CGI that basically that it has to be some of the earliest with with the little people. Oh, yeah. Those the, effects, that that's yeah. phenomenal for the time. And, the, the and being able not there. only to have them, it's one thing to like have them under glass where you clearly could do that on a soundstage and then cut the, the film together and everything, but picking the guy up with tweezers. Yeah, having them all interact. That uh, That's the cool part, having them all appear in the same image together. Now, this is, I believe, after, yeah, this is after The Invisible Man, and yeah, James Whale's already done some pretty amazing special effects for the time for the Invisible Man, making the guy look see-through. Mm -hmm. Or as Uno O'Connor says in that movie, he's all eaten away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, he's he, he's aware of how that works, but it's still pretty impressive. Um, just that level of, of visual effects at the time. Holy cow. And it holds up. It does. It held I, up on the big screen. It held up. I... I couldn't tell you know you can't see the wires as it were it, right it, it definitely plays out no, it's great um yeah just I, i'm so glad you enjoyed it i i sometimes really like ride of frankenstein and sometimes i think this is overrated it's okay but you know right now i'm in that i really like it <laughs> oh i really really enjoyed it uh, you, you know it, i really enjoyed carlos portrayal yeah, it's so um it's his best performance as the monster sometimes I'll flat out say it. sometimes it, you think it's the best one of, of his of the three three, the, the main, three times yeah. i think it's his best frankenstein performance i really enjoyed a monster that wasn't quite so zombie like i think a lot of times we get frankenstein and or or spin-offs of frankenstein if we want to go into like the monsters and things like that um and the walk is very stilted. The knees are locked, and, and the arms go out with the uh, which is very zombie-like, you know. Do you know where that comes from? No. Would you like to know? Sure. At some point in the franchise, Frankenstein's monster is struck blind. So as he's walking around, he is holding his arms out so he doesn't run into anything. Okay, I can see That's that. That's where that characterization comes from. I can see that from. for the arms, but even just the knees being locked is a yeah. very common thing. The, the locked knees, I think, the stilted is walk. an extension of that from once it got kind of picked up on again. Sure, where, whereas with Karloff, he can clearly scramble over the stones and up over yeah. the tree roots and things like that, and he can gently reach into the pool. He can gently pat the hand. Uh, we see him cry. I mean, More than once. Oh my goodness, the, the scene with the old man that plays the violin, and and they're just having this heartfelt discussion, which is a weird thing to think about with Frankenstein's monster, but um, they're having this heart-to-heart -heart about what it means to love and be loved, and what a difference that makes to people, yeah. and how lonely we are, and how we're not meant to be alone, and we're meant to find love in friends, and in family and inmates and in all different ways but we really are creatures that are meant to love each other which is which is a nice message for valentine's day <laughs> yeah i mean as much as you and i aren't really doing the valentine's day thing that's those are the message that's the part of valentine's day that i would like to honor yeah. and, and keep you know i'm not into the commercial side of it but the love part of showing the people that you love that you love them and 
and showing care for them and doing the things you can for them. That That's the real part. That's the real meaning, I think. I think this is a good note to end on. Absolutely. Uh, I love you. I love you. And uh, thank you to the listeners for indulging us, gushing about Bride of Frankenstein, <laughs> and uh, me kind of gushing about how much I love my fiance. Soon to be a bride, but not of Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, we should totally do that! Ah! You see, you got the sound down. Ah! <laughs> bride! Gorge! <laughs>a storybook adventure. From Fantasyland comes a feature-length story starring a cat in boots. Now a magic motion picture takes you to a fairyland of rock candy palaces. Hmm, caramel. See the haunted forest ruled by the awful villain. I haven't entered your castle to hand you a message. So from this day on is punishment and a lesson. All your lands are mine. But good always triumphs over evil in Puss in Boots. Hear the beautiful song of the princess and many other delightful tunes. Kay Gordon Murray again brings to the screen another of his fantasy delights for children of all ages. See Puss in Boots in Eastman Colorscope. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. And hopefully, I can thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends, retweeting tweets, posting things on Facebook and any other social media outlet you happen to be on to let people know about, well, Monster Kid Radio and how much fun you're having here. I hope you're having a good time. I hope you're enjoying what we do here at Monster Kid Radio. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, I love interacting with people. Uh, online, either through the feedback that comes in or just the conversations that happen on Facebook. We do have a Reddit and a Discord and a Patreon and a Twitch and things like that. So there are always places for you to go to interact with your fellow monster kids. I really want all these social media outlets that I talk about. 
It's not about me. What I'd really like to see is just you guys and gals taking advantage of the community that you have built. Chat it up. Start conversations about monster movies. Let's have a good time talking about these things that we love so much. If you want to talk about an episode of Monster Kid Radio, I'm all for it. But if you'd rather talk about something that is non-podcast related but still kind of relevant to the kind of things that we talk about here, I'm all for it. For example, CBR.com, that used to be comicbookresources.com, but CBR.com just posted four days ago as of this recording an article, a listicle, from Bela Lugosi to Gary Oldman, the best movie Dracula's ranked. This is a piece written by Reese Taylor. I don't know who Reese Taylor is. I don't know who that is. But I found it interesting that they went through and created this article where they talked about the various Draculas. And I know that part of it is because there's a new movie coming, Renfield with Nicolas Cage and the dude from uh, The Menu and uh, Mad Max Fury Road, the guy whose name that I can't remember, but gosh, I kind of like him a lot. I really probably ought to remember his name in the future. But, you know, there's a new Dracula movie, so CBR does a Dracula thing, and, and I get that, and that's cool, that's good SEO, good marketing, good timing, that sort of thing. Um, is the article any good? Well, I don't know. You tell me. I'll put a link in the show notes. And why don't you go on to whatever social media outlet of your choice uh, that you use to talk about it? I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, and, and read your thoughts online. And if you want to call in or write in and let me know what you thought of the article as well, that's cool too. Like I said, I don't know Reese Taylor. I don't know what their background is. I don't know if they're a monster kid or if this was something that was assigned to them by CBR. I don't know how that whole thing works with their writing structure and, and being a freelancer for them. But I'm curious to hear what you think. Anyway, there's that. I mentioned Twitch a second ago. We are on Twitch. And lately I've been picking like a movie or two and just letting it run on a loop for a few days before I swap it out. Is it good for my stats on Twitch? Probably not, because usually only one or two of y'all are watching at any given moment, which is okay. But when I run, like, 20 hours of a movie, and I get one re unique viewer, it kind of lowers my stats a little bit in terms of, like, percentage of watched hours and things like that. But you know what? I don't care. I'm enjoying putting movies up for y'all to watch on twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. I can tell you right now, while we're recording this, there is something on the Twitch channel. Uh, we've got two short pieces, so they're like uh, instructional or industrial films or educational films, and then the movie itself. Then I've got an ad for my Mark Temple book and the Hawaiian shirt that uh, we were selling, pushing really hard last year. We're going to make that available again uh, for you as well. But that's coming up over on our Twitch channel, so please go check that out. If you're on Twitch, it's free to watch. It's free to follow. Of course, as you subscribe, you don't get the ads, and that helps me out a little bit, but go follow me on Twitch, and, you know, whenever we put a new movie up, you'll get a notification. So there's that for you as well. I mentioned Discord. You know, there's that. Patreon. I want to let you know that either by the end of this month or beginning of March, we're going to be making some changes to the Patreon page that we have. I appreciate all of the patrons, people who help support Monster Kid Radio by throwing a few bucks a month to us here on Patreon. I am not very good about meeting my goals and any kind of rewards. So I'm going to restructure things again. I'm just going to make it a flat kind of, you know, if you want to help out, awesome. This is how much you can do, you know, put in to help support us on Patreon on a recurring basis as a patron. 
as far as any rewards, we're going to have one main reward. And that main reward will be an opportunity for you to participate in regular monster movie trivia quizzes. Now, we did one of these on Twitch Live for everybody uh, last week or so. And I thought it went over really well. I had fun putting it together, and I think y'all had fun with it as well. So I think what we're going to do is, especially after the wedding, which is happening in April, we're going to set up regularly scheduled patron-only trivia quiz events. So if you're on Patreon, pay attention because we're going to be making announcements there as well. I'll keep you all posted. Now, I don't want to exclude non-patrons from this, so maybe once a quarter we'll do a non-Patreon trivia quiz event and kind of make it big and you know robust and just have fun with it on Twitch the way that we did the other day. The Patreon trivia quizzes will be recorded and then used as either content for the Twitch channel or audio for the podcast. We'll see. We'll see. But these are all things that I'm looking to change. There are some changes coming to Monster Kid Radio. I know I've been talking a lot about it. I want to look ahead a little bit, though, and just kind of let you know what's happening. May will be the month of Manos here on Monster Kid Radio, or May Nos the Hands of Fate. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to give Manos the Hands of Fate a real good scrubbing. We're going to take a look at it. I'm going to watch it with Beth, and hopefully she digs it enough to sit through the entire thing, and we'll talk about that. I'd like to do some more Manos content coming up in the month of May, so stay tuned for that. And then the big one, literally big, Kaiju-Lai. We're going to do nothing but Kaiju movie coverage in the month of July. I have Anthony and Mark lined up to do some stuff. I have been contacted by some other regular, semi-regular voices of Monster Kid Radio's past to be on the show, and then a fellow former podcaster, current YouTube creator, has reached out to me as well about doing something in the month of July. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to Kai July on Monster Kid Radio. And again, those are going to be the only themed months here on the podcast. That said, even though we're not doing luchadors this May, there will be some luchador coverage coming up sometime this year on the podcast. It's just not going to be all split or set aside in one month block. I can't get away from the luchadors. I mean, come on. It's me. I, I, I gotta have my luchadors. Things that are happening in the immediate future, depending on when you hear this, there may still be time for you to get to Fan Expo Portland in um, Portland, <laughs> oh, Portland, Oregon. Fan Expo is the convention that is formerly known as Wizard World. It is part Comic-Con, huge part media event. This Portland Fan Expo has got like a Back to the Future reunion with the main stars from Matt coming. You got William Shatner and Anson Mount. You've got a handful of folks from Next Generation and Picard. You've got Nathan Fillion. You got Bruce Campbell. You got Sam Raimi. And you got me. I'm going to be a guest in Author's Alley with my brand new book on the back burner, book one of the Solemn Judgment series which is also doubling as book one in the six-week rotation superhero series of novels that I am launching this year. Now, if you're on TikTok, please consider following my writing TikTok. Look up Monster Kid Writer, and you'll find me there. I'll be posting little things there throughout the convention and just kind of in general. I've been posting things about my writing journey. 
Right now, it's very much focused on six-week rotation and on the back burner, the superhero stuff that I'm writing. But make no mistake, I just posted a TikTok about this today. There's going to be some more Mark Temple stories coming up as well. Mark Temple is the character that leads the short story collection, Monster Hunter for Hire. So that's coming as well later this year. I really feel good about writing. Sometimes writing, I love it. But for a long time, well, I won't say for a long time, but off and on during my writing life, which I'd say goes back at least 20, 30 years, if not longer, there are times when I feel better having written than actually writing. That said, and I'll reveal the true story about how six-week rotation and on the back burner finally happened at some point in the future later this year. It was a slog. It was a lot of work. It was hard work. But it was so rewarding. And I'm not writing it anymore. The book's done. And we're releasing the convention exclusive edition tomorrow at Fan Expo, February 17th. The convention runs through the 19th. And I'll be doing a number of panels, including a live Monster Kid radio panel. But I miss writing that story. So I guess I just have to write the next one and just keep writing. Beth and I have talked a lot about what the future holds. For us, for me, for her, for our careers. And one thing that we really want to do in 2023 is make the move from working for the man to working for ourselves. Working at home, creating content, writing, YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, OnlyFans. I, okay, I'm kidding about the last one. But really, I just... I'm having a hard time, folks. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm having a really hard time in my current day job. I'm really struggling. And I think part of it is because I'm so excited about the future. And I, I think who I'm supposed to be is not who I am from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. I'm going to lean on you for help. Not, not saying financially supported. I'm just... I'm going to lean on you for help because really Monster Kid Radio is one of the things that helps keep me sane. So I want to thank you for all of that. Of course, if you want to help, I'm not going to turn that down. And one of the ways that you can help is by using our Amazon affiliate links. Now, this doesn't cost you anything extra. If you shop at all at Amazon, instead of going to Amazon.com, please consider using the button that looks like a Frankenstein monster with the Amazon A in it over on our website at MonsterKidRadio.net. Doing this then shopping on Amazon after having clicked on that link keeps you within the Monster Kid Radio affiliate bubble and helps to support the show by shaving just a tiny, tiny bit off the top of whatever it is you're paying. Normally, you're not getting charged anything extra and funneling it to us here at Monster Kid Radio. And it really does help in the long run. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Other things that you can do, well, I've already mentioned Patreon, but Twitch is a big thing you can do as well. Just go and subscribe to Twitch. And you won't see any ads, and we get a little bit of money instead. So, there's little things that you can do. I'm trying to find ways for you to help support Monster Kid Radio that doesn't cost you anything. Because really, that's not what this is about. That's never been what the podcast, it's never been what my podcasting career has been about. What podcasting for me is about is community and just creating content that I love 
that I would want to listen to if I wasn't making it myself. And half the time I listen to it after the fact anyway, even though I made it and I know what went into it. So there's that. I appreciate you giving me a chance to kind of blather on a little bit. I'm excited about the convention this weekend. If you're going to be at Fan Expo, please look for me. Uh, Beth is going to be there as well. So it'll be an opportunity for you to actually meet Beth in person instead of just hearing her as this adorable personality on the podcast. You actually to see her in person. So I would love for you to meet Beth. I would love to meet you in general and just have a good time. Speaking of which, I need to start getting ready for the con. So I'm going to wrap up and let you go. I do want to remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song we played this week. That doesn't apply to the song Barracuda. It's from the band The Beachcombers, and it is playing on this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio, courtesy of High Tide Recordings. You can find High Tide Recordings by going to their website, hightiderecordings.com, and that is spelled H-I-T-I-D-E, and then recordings.com. There will be a link in the show notes, of course. My name is Tara Kim Cook. I'm super excited about what the future holds. I'm super excited about this weekend. I'm super excited about a podcast appearance I just had on another person's podcast. I just appeared on the Blue Tiger Revenge podcast. Came out just a couple of days ago. Thanks to Brian Bales and Tad Kalusha for having me on over there. Link in the show notes to that. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.